0: By faith they crossed the Red Sea as if they were on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried it they were drowned. By faith Jericho's walls fell after the people marched around them for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute wasn't killed with the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. What more can I say? I would run out of time if I told you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, brought about justice, realized promises, shut the mouths of lions, put out raging fires, escaped from the edge of the sword, found strength and weakness, were mighty in war, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they could gain a better resurrection. But others experienced public shame by being taunted and whipped. They were even put in chains and in prison. They were stoned to death. They were cut in two, and they died by being murdered with swords. They went around wearing the skins of sheep and goats, needy, oppressed, and mistreated. The world didn't deserve them. They wandered around in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. All these people didn't receive what was promised, though they were given approval for their faith. God provided something better for us so they wouldn't be made perfect without us. So then. Let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame, for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him, and sat down at the right side of God's throne. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks, Joe. So I was in Florida for the Christmas holidays like I normally am, and I, I feel uh, with my in-laws. And I feel like that really um, kind of uh, tilts the way I'm thinking about like, um, uh, New Year's resolutions, right? Before this year, I came to the realization that I didn't read many biographies. Uh, part of this is because I was hanging out with my father-in-law, who almost exclusively reads biographies, right? And, and I have other people in my life who are endlessly interested in reading about the lives of other people in their own words, so autobiographies also. But me, I can like, plow through nonfiction and theology, and when I want to slow down a little bit of poetry, but reading biographies really like, plods for me. I'm sorry, if you love, if you love that genre. But then I found out about memoir, right? Memoir is kind of like a biography or an autobiography, but it's a a little bit different. Memoir is like purposely reflective. It looks back in order to interpret and to appreciate. And as a memoirist communicates, they begin to open up space for the reader to share in that experience, to learn, to empathize, to disagree, to grow, to change. So needless to say, my resolution for this year that we're almost I guess we're more than halfway through, has been to read more memoir. I'd be curious if if y'all have read any good memoirs lately. You can shout it out. No one's read a memoir. The most beautiful who wrote that? The most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Cool. Okay. Anyone else? Is everyone hanging out without me? That sounds like a FOMO uh, memoir. Yeah, this is turning into book club. This is great. Anyone else? The reason I jump. jump. Cool. Does anyone on this side read memoirs? (laughs) Oh, a long way back. Yeah, cool. Yeah, good one. So a couple of, those are good, and we can talk more about this at Potluck, which can also be a book club. Um, A couple of my favorites this year that I read are Educated by Tara Westover and Between the World and Me Um, (laughs) by Ta-Nehisi Coates, and they're pretty different. Um, I'd seen so many people at the gym kind of with Educated propped up on the treadmill, and I won't give too much away, But to be honest, I was completely wrong at what I thought this book was about with, like, the pencil on it. I didn't see that those were also mountains, right, uh, in there. Um, Oh, I'm supposed to look back at this screen, not at the screen that I see, too. Um, I thought it was going to be, like, some, like, elitist examination of our educational system and, like, what we do right and what we mostly do wrong about how we teach people. But instead, it's, like, this really personal tale about, like, rural, Mormon fundamentalism and government conspiracies and domestic violence and negotiating complicated family ties. So that's the hook. You can get on the public library waiting list for that one. It's awesome. And Coates' memoir, on the other hand, is written in the style of James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time. yeah, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates is a former journalist for The Atlantic who wrote all these really important pieces on race in our country. And he writes in a really personal register to his son. It's an extended letter to his son about what it means to be a black man in America. And Coates remembers his Baltimore childhood and the like survival mechanisms that he needed uh, in the classroom and on the streets. Um, He shares uh, I think my favorite part of the book is he shares about his college experience at Howard Which he calls the Mecca and like all the different kinds of black people uh, Not just the black people that he knew uh, in Baltimore, but like this diaspora uh, of of people that he met his experience there was like world widening and it's really beautiful the way he writes about it and both writers in their own ways kind of talk about faith a little bit they Uh, Each experience a different brand of pretty toxic and like fearful mutations of what faith is. And um, like most of us, neither of their adult faith or lack thereof like approximates what their faith was like when they were a kid. I think this is generally true even if you remain a Christian. And neither's experience is really remotely anywhere near mine or probably many of us in the room. But their experiences and their responses to those experiences allow us a way in. The way, uh, the way in to examine like, who we are, um, the type of people we're becoming. I think their key questions and their experiences, um, some of them have driven them away from faith, can also actually, in some cases, serve to like, bolster and strengthen, deepen our faith. Something similar is happening kind of in shorthand in this passage from Hebrews. And and we're in Hebrews now um, because it's a Revised Common Lectionary reading. We've been in Revelation all summer. And so now we've zoomed in towards the end of the the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. And this is often known as like a a hall of faith. Uh, There are big Bible names here. Like right out of the gate, it's like, Second generation, pretty near to the root of humanity's family tree. Abel, of Cain and Abel, is attributed as one with faith. And then Enoch is listed. Does anyone know who Enoch is? Yeah? D- does everyone know that Enoch is one of the two people in the Bible who never died? That's a pretty cool fact. Does anyone know who the other one is? You can shout it out if you got it. Oh, man, you guys are good. That's good. I thought I might have to vamp a little bit. Uh, that's good. Enoch had faith. And of course, we have Noah, who by faith swam pretty doggedly upstream in a society bent towards destruction. And God approaches. Noah with the task of being part of the cure rather than the disease, and he starts to build a boat before there was even any surf, right? That's Noah's story. We know Noah's story from when we were kids. All of these uh, are narrated as people with faith. Then there's a string of folks listed, and and I'll get to our passage that Joe read, uh, but even before that is a string of folks listed that are related to God's grand rescue plan. And they're all keyed around Abraham. You see, the problem started with Abel's parents, Adam and Eve, and their rebellion in the garden. And when they did that, they left the door open for sin and death to creep into this world. And where sin and death live and become a certainty, faith often takes a back seat. A main part of humanity's whole original identity was to be God's partner to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day, to gently and beautifully rule among and over and with the community of creation with the creator. On this side of the rebellion, east of Eden, where we all are, which we all share, God still pledges to be with us. But for us to be with God, we have to walk in faith now. That's why Abraham and faith are always mentioned in the same sentence. In the New Testament, in Paul's writings, Abraham and faith, faith in Abraham. Because it is in and through Abraham and Sarah's faith, they're walking humbly with God into the unknown, that the conditions for God's family are created, that God's family can grow. Abraham and Sarah are a wonderful reminder that faith is not just a young man and a young woman's game, right? God chose to birth something new in them, something for the sake of the world, the entire world at a laughably old age. (laughs) In short, God is never done with you and I. Like I, I think you could either boil their story down to that something that that we can even know as younger people everyone in this room is younger than they were right god is not done with you and i ever there's no retiring from god's purposes there's always just responding again and again to god i wonder what the memoir titles would be for abraham and sarah maybe I, thought, I was trying to think through this, and if I had more time, I would like, do a Photoshop mock-up, but I think Sarah's could be something like LOL, the laughable story about how I became the mother to God's purposes, right? That would be so cool. New York Times bestseller. But another thing that stuck out to me on this read, and it, it, it hasn't really stuck out to me before, but it's just how emphatic that this account in Hebrews is about these faithful ones, Abraham and Sarah, how emphatic it is that they are migrants and refugees and that this is an important feature of their faith. It's not a bug, it's a feature of their faith. Remember Abraham's, at the time he was Abram, his initial encounter with the Lord says in Genesis 12, leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. At the launch of it all, Abraham and Sarah are on the move, into the unknown, given the vague assurance that this would all be for the good, but having almost everything sure and familiar taken out of the equation for them. Leave your land, your family, your father's household, and go to a place I'll show you. Just go. Hebrews describes the life of faith as a life of a stranger in an immigrant in this world. I wonder how, as people of faith, we'd be changed if we like, recaptured that paradigm and expectation, that faith is found on the move, and that the one leaving home is the one looking for a better country, namely a divine country, a, a home. I wonder if being hospitable to these sorts of pilgrims is how we participate with God in preparing a city for them. So the stories keep rolling, and they keep rolling on this branch of the family tree, Abraham's branch, and they include the binding of Isaac. Again, zoom into these little memoirs and read the little the details that you read fast through and fast over when you're, like, doing Bible in a year, but zoom in and, and, and stay longer, uh, especially a story like the binding of Isaac. And you'd guess that whole episode happens, quote, by faith. This faith was the trust that God is going to work this crazy plan out through Abraham and Sarah's family. And if God is going to do that, God is going to have to come through. That even death won't be able to thwart this plan. The, the de- they put the detail in. He figured that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. So in a way, he did receive him back from the dead. This active and participatory faith is starting to take an interesting shape. Working with God is happening in a far country, and every small act of obedience is an act of resistance against the powers of sin and death. And now, at the genesis of this new family, this new possibility, we're starting to get hints that their faith might even be able to last through death. Death is no longer a full stop. It's a a comma or an ellipsis. The narrative continues through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and these are all page turners in their own right. Go back and read these. And then it lands on Moses, and we're almost where Joe started. The sermon has almost started, right? Uh, Kelly Nicondeja, she's an orphan, and and she was adopted, but she's also an adoptive mother herself. She talks about Moses' story in this beautiful way, and, and she talks about the kind of faith, again, these are, this is by faith um, that all this happens. She talks about the beginning of Moses' story as being a story that takes place by faith, by the faith of, her, of Moses and Miriam's enslaved mother, Jochebed, to relinquish Moses into the reeds. And it's by faith of Moses' adoptive mother, uh, Bithiah, to receive him. And and Nikandeiha writes, how subversive, raising a liberator under Pharaoh's own roof, that that Moses' moms joined their efforts to thwart the death edict and turn the tide of the great river itself. Maybe Jochebed, Bethiah, and the young Miriam founded the Nile network on that day. A, woman, uh, a group of women determined to use their subversive strength to plant seeds of liberation that would one day upend the empire, inside of the empire. It is by faith that this great seed was planted and then watered and would grow into maturity even in the soil of a strange land. It would be the same faith that then would leave Egypt, not around or above, but right through the Red Sea, Hebrews tells us that Moses' faith kept him going, quote, as if he could see what is invisible. It's here that we finally get to our passage today. The by faith part, every line starts with by faith, that starts to get a little looser. It's not all these characters that we know and that we can flip through and look up their stories as easily. They're more dispersed. Now we have by faith they kept the Passover, By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. By faith, Jericho's walls fell. By faith, Rahab welcomed the spies in peace. The imagination for God's people and plan continues to grow and to expand. And then the, the list of both well and lesser known faithful ones comes. And these, th- this shows us that not all saints have statues. Uh, th- this is something that we're going to continue to expand this, this fall as telling and listening to our stories and conceiving us as the ones that scripture calls holy ones, saints, ones in Christ in this place. You then may notice a pretty sharp detour. Maybe when Joe was reading it, you kind of like double-tuck and said, really? Like I can't believe you went there, because we're moving along at this nice clip, and we're starting to feel good about all this. We want to redouble our faithing efforts, because this all seems to be getting good results, and things might go well to us. And then the author of Hebrews drops a little bit of a bomb. right? sure, by faith, some conquered kingdoms and brought about justice and realized promises, shut the mouths of lions, put out raging fires, escaped the edge of the sword, found strength and weakness, were mighty in war, routed foreign armies, and some even received back their dead by resurrection. I got to think maybe they're talking about Sarah receiving Isaac back by means of resurrection. Uh, It goes on, by faith, some traveled to Europe and got good jobs and found decent friends and a spouse and had smart and respecting children and went on two-week vacations each year and got tenure track, were creatively fulfilled, ran two marathons last year, and all posted tastefully on Instagram stories. (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) Instead, it goes and says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they could get a better resurrection. Some others still received public shame and and were taunted and whipped. They were even put in chains and in prison. They were stoned to death. They were cut in two. They died by being murdered with swords. Murdered with swords. Uh, They went around wearing skins of sheep and goats, needy, oppressed, mistreated. The world didn't deserve them. They wandered around in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. All these people didn't receive what was promised to them, though they were approved for their faith. This is like <laughs> a really curious and frustrating direction for all this to go, right? Faith, it turns out, is not the silver bullet to a good and safe life. Faith is not the silver bullet to a good and safe life. In fact, the above list of sufferings is almost identical to the apostle paul's actual punch list what it looked like things that happened to him maybe they missed out on shipwrecked i think right and he perhaps more than anyone preached the good news of grace for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it's a gift of god as disheartening and deflating as the sentence, all these people did not receive what was promised, is, I think it can also be kind of strangely comforting. It means when, not if you are suffering, that you're not doing it wrong, that your faith is not messed up, that you don't have to, like, drain the whole bathwater of faith, right? It means that you've got really good company and that faith is strong and deep enough for it to hold doubt and hurt together. This week, I'm sure a lot of y'all saw it, there's this really powerful, like almost like conversation as memoir um, interview between Stephen Colbert and, and Anderson Cooper. and it, I'm sure it got shared probably in your social media. But they each uh, talked about how they lost their dads when they were 11. Uh, Stephen Colbert uh, lost his dad and two brothers. He's a family of 11, lost two brothers and his dad when he was 11 to a plane crash. And Anderson Cooper's dad uh, died, and then a couple years later, his brother committed suicide. Each of them had their whole lives reshaped by these tragedies. Each had a, a really great reason to abandon faith in light of unanswered promises, right? But Colbert... For as, like, silly as he is, he, he spoke really seriously <laughs> in, in this moment with this, like, kind of maddeningly, uh, like, intense grin on his face as he, as he spoke these things. And maybe he had to do that. Um, but he spoke of this loss as a gift. He said, I don't want it to have happened. I want it not to have happened. But if you are grateful for your life, which I think is a positive thing to do, not everyone is, and I'm not always, but it's the most positive thing to do, then you have to be grateful for all of it. You can't just pick and choose what you're grateful for. I imagine one of the above characters reflecting similarly. Their faith did not protect them from tragedy, but gave them enough space to offer gratitude and praise to the God who calls and equips and comforts and imagines them with a place in God's story. Colbert then turned the conversation into like a very specifically Christian direction. He says, that's the great gift of the sacrifice of Christ. It's that God does it too. That you're never really alone. That God suffers too, that you're never really alone. This is precisely the move that Hebrews makes here too. In chapter 12, Therefore, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that trips us up and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith, the author and finisher of faith, the alpha and omega of faith. Jesus is the faithful one in whom our faith is born and can be reborn, in whom the words joy and shame can somehow be in the same sentence. Did you notice that? For the joy before him, took on the cross and, and bore its shame, right? That shows us definitively that God does it too and that we're not ever really alone, either in our lives of faith or in our suffering and in our disappointment. Paul writes to the Galatians that he's been crucified with Christ and it's no longer he who lives, but Christ lives in him. And he's got a body, but this life of faith that he lives in the body, he lives by faith in and out of the overflowing fount of faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who loves him and gives his life for us. It's easy to be rattled these days. There are so many things that threaten and complicate our ability to live lives of faith in this world. It's easy when you come up on a lectionary passage like this to read through this list of names and to like romanticize um, them, or to like make hagiographies out of these heroes of faith to, to make them heroic. Like, th- like that's not attainable. Like, people don't do that anymore. That they've gone before us, but none of that is the point. If you were to read these people's memoirs, even someone like Enoch, who was carried away by God or Elijah who was taken away in a chariot. Uh, amazing. But if you were to read their memoirs, you know that they were probably much more like you than you'd care to like, realize. The common denominator, the common reality between you and I and each of them was a desperation and a trust in God that sustains them through death. There's this story uh, I've, I've been encountering a lot of people with, in, in, a, in a hard season of faith and, and in, a, in a season of doubt, and there's this story of a priest. People mostly assume that clergy have perfect faith, right? Um, but this priest comes to a theologian on a personal matter, and he boils it down um, saying, the problem is, Professor, I think I've lost my faith. The theologian, who happens to be Karl Barth, Swiss theologian, uh, says, what on earth gave you the impression it was yours to lose? This faith, right? This means that that faith, our faith, is not a feeling, it's not a thought. Though thoughts and feelings are really important for our faith. We should be thinking and feeling constantly in our lives of faith. Uh, In that Colbert interview, he talks about wanting to be most human, and I think thinking and feeling allows us to be most human in our lives of faith. But it means faith is not primarily a thought or a feeling, that it is primarily a sharing. It is a sharing in Jesus' faith. It is a sharing, a participation, which the scripture calls being in Christ, being clothed in Christ, putting on Christ. And it requires all of us. But it really will give us new lives. Like durable resurrection lives in God's unshakable kingdom. So let's walk by faith. <laughs> Hopefully we'll continue to know what that means and, and attach it to our memoirs, right? that we'll walk by faith because we're surrounded by a great crowd, a great cloud of witnesses before us and, and around us, actually, here by faith. We should write memoirs. We should have a season where we just show up on Sunday and work on our memoirs together. We'd turn this place into a co-working space. It'd be great. Let's also let's learn from these witnesses and let's add our own stories. And our stories I think should highlight where it's really hard. <laughs> If there's a memoir without any tension, it's not a super exciting memoir, right? So our story should, should say where it was actually hard, but also where it's really gratifying to fix our eyes on Jesus. It should say, like, where it made no sense. Like, that's a hard thing, because hindsight's 20-20, and you can always backtrack and be like, oh, I knew it the whole time, God's got me, right? But our memoir should actually say, it made no sense... But then the picture started to develop of what God was doing. They should, these memoirs should talk about what it felt like to open up our lives and our homes and our hearts to meet Jesus in the face of a stranger. They should talk about what it's been like to overcome together, the things that used to trip us up. Now we just like sidestep or walk over or they're not even strong enough to trip us up, that victory. And they should share where Jesus has met you, like in suffering, not around it, but in it. Like right at the moment where it seemed like death was sure and only, and then resurrection life was actually beginning. That's what it means to live a life of faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Will you all pray with me? Lord, give us um, words to uh, tell our stories and ears to hear the stories of others that we might be encouraged in our faith. Uh, Give us um, hearts and minds and spirits joined uh, with your faith. Amen. that it might be strong enough to carry us when we don't feel like we can muster anything. That's that's actually when we're in a pretty good spot in terms of faith. Thanks for all these uh, figures of faith, brothers and sisters, who seem um, like giants, and they and they they were, um, they are. Um, but but thanks for the ways that they're also people uh, involved with you, uh, complicated people with ups and downs and and missteps and sin um, who uh, are in you. Uh, thanks for uh, the, the space that you make uh, for us to join in this work. Thanks for the ways that you challenge us um, to live lives on the move, on the go, in uh, a place that we don't know um, and is not yet our home. Um, and continue to uh, be our home.